Welcome to the Master Books Podcast, where we bring you conversations that will strengthen your biblical worldview and the faith of your family. I'm Jennifer White, publicist at Master Books, a division of New Leaf Publishing Group. As host of this show, I'll be opening the doors to the Master Books family library of books, authors, and curriculum. For over 45 years, our company has been about one thing, ink on paper to touch eternity. In a world increasingly at war with God, we are publishing to partner with you to disciple your family, the church, and the nations. Well, hello and welcome everybody to the Master Books Podcast. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. Today, I have a really special guest. Brian Osborne is here to talk to us. He is going to be sharing from his two books, Quick Answers to Tough Questions and Quick Answers to Social Issues. Brian is an expert in apologetics-based evangelism, as well as chronological Bible teaching. And he has partnered with the mission of Master Books, which is Ink on Paper to Touch Eternity, to help you and your families be better equipped to answer these tough questions that our culture is dealing with today and to bring the biblical worldview to us and help us have a more solid foundation for ourselves as adults and as teens. These books are definitely more teen focused than younger children. And also to give the Bible upholding and science confirming evidence that we need in quick answer form to today's most asked questions. So welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, it is great to be here with you. It truly is a blessing. And uh I do love that mission statement you just laid out. And really it is all about sending God's word, defending the faith to proclaim the gospel. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself, about your family and your passion sure. for apologetics and why you chose to write these books. Yeah. So my family first, I am married to one woman. Everybody be glad to know that. Uh, married for <laughs> 24 years to my lovely bride, Marla. I have two children, Ian, who is eight, my daughter, Macy, who is four. And uh, they are my greatest earthly blessings by far. And so I do treasure them to the uttermost. And God has blessed me so richly. And I worked for the Ministry of Answers in Genesis before working here. I was a teacher for 13 years. I taught Bible history in a public school over in Tennessee. And then I came to the Ministry of Answers in Genesis a little over eight years ago as a speaker and a writer for the ministry. And so now I do a lot of speaking on apologetics for the ministry, a lot of traveling and speaking, uh, helping Christians have answers to defend their faith on all sorts of issues, but especially on the issues of origins. Uh, so things like dinosaurs, age of the earth, rock layers and fossils and so forth and so on. Uh, so those sorts of issues. But then also as a ministry, we deal heavily with the issues that are social in nature, the the things of sexuality and gender and those sorts of issues as well. Uh, we deal a lot with those because really when you get down to the issues of marriage, sexuality and gender and even critical race theory and stuff like that, the biblical doctrines we use to refute the secular views on those things. Those biblical doctrines come from the history found in Genesis 1 to 11, uh, fundamentally. And so we have a connection there with those issues as well. So we do a lot with those too. So that's really kind of also the passion behind the books. Uh, my goal in the books was to give people quick, concise answers. Uh, I understand that we live in a culture that uh, uh, microwaves are slow, right? <laughs> so we want stuff now. And, and people don't read as much as they used to. And so these books are very ADD friendly. Uh, each answer is less than 500 words to 30 some questions per book. And so someone can read the whole book in a couple of hours, have really good answers. And of course, if they want to dive deeper, we've got the website and other resources for that as well. 
Absolutely. Well, I'm so thankful for the ministry of Answers in Genesis and all that you guys are doing to help us have a biblical worldview and look at the foundational um, nature of that chapter of that book of Genesis in those first 11 chapters. So one of the um, important topics that I think you address in one of your books is why is there death and suffering if there is a God? That is something that Christians often sometimes come face to face with because of their own suffering or the loss of someone or watching the suffering of other people. And my goodness, in today's age, if you watch the news, you have right. really so much exposure to suffering. That's right. So tell us um, from your book, from your research, how you would suggest that a Christian answer that question for themselves from the Bible, as well as help them have a conversation with people who don't yet believe fully in the Bible or in God or Jesus Christ? Yeah, and that's a great question. And to really answer that question, I think also to lay a foundation for the future questions, there are kind of three foundational things I just want to suggest to people as we dive into these. Okay. First, number one, understand as we give answers to all these sorts of questions, our hope is not merely to win an argument. Our hope is to give a good biblical answer so we can proclaim the gospel effectively. So our motivation is always gospel focused. Right? Yes. Second foundational issue is this, is that ultimately how someone answers any of these questions comes down to your foundational worldview. That is, which authority are you adhering to? And you got two choices. Either God's word is your authority and you build your thinking from there or reject God's word. And what are you left with? Man's ideas in some way, shape or form as your authority. So every issue will come down to that foundational core point. What is the authority, God or man? Of course, we understand as Christians, God's word is the only right authority for now and eternity. And the third third thing will be this, is that everybody's got faith. Everybody's got faith. The question is, where do you put your faith? And it's either God's word or man's, right? Mm -hmm. And so we got to keep those things in mind as we engage all of these questions, which leads right back into this question. So from a biblical perspective, how do we do the deal with the issue of pain and suffering and death. And often, you know, the atheist or the non-believer or even someone just struggling may wonder like this. If there's an all good, all knowing, all powerful God, why did he make the world full of so much death and suffering and bloodshed and disease and brokenness that we see all around us? Mm -hmm. And Jennifer, the short answer is he didn't. God did not make the world the way it is today. And see, the Bible is very clear that God made this place perfect. He gave us what he wanted for us. He gave us perfection. Originally, there was no death, no suffering, no bloodshed, no disease. It was perfection. And of course, God warned Adam that the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And so the Bible is clear all the way through from Genesis 3 to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, that it was man's sin that brought death, the enemy, into God's perfect creation. Actually, Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning in pain because of man's sin. And it's long before when Christ will return to return the world to its original perfect state. And so in short, God made it perfect. We wrecked this creation in our sin. And by the way, since we all descend from Adam, we're all sinners by nature, by choice. Therefore, we're part of the problem. But God shows his love, his mercy and grace and his great sovereign salvation of providing a bridge of salvation for us even after we've wrecked his perfect creation. And then also in Christ, we recognize that not only, not only is there a bridge of salvation, uh, but also one day he's coming back and will restore all things to a perfect state. Again, we have a great, perfect future hope in that. And so within the Christian worldview, we can understand where death comes from, why it's here, 
uh, how ultimately the responsibility falls on man, not on God. God made it perfect, but God's redeemed it and made a way of salvation for us, and he's going to make it perfect again someday. Oh, my goodness. That is such a powerful, succinct way for us to think about the gospel, to think about who God is. And if we keep going back to where where God started and how he's redeemed us, then we can continue to stand in the day of evil, to stand when we hear the news, to stand when we are faced with suffering or faced with death, that that wasn't God's plan. And and I love how you talked earlier about the three things that we needed to remember in that man's view of the world or wisdom or the origin of life or what is important if it's not based on those things, then we are ultimately going to fall apart. You know, the, the ideas, the destruction comes. And when I was reading your book, one of the things you brought out was um, about the steady erosion of biblical authority. That's mm. obviously something that is happening. And I'm so thankful for our company's ministry and your company's ministry to reestablish, help people have a firm foundation on the word, keep bringing them back to the word. And um, you brought out Psalm 11, three, that says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And yeah. so these books and our ministry, your ministry is to help families rebuild this foundation. And uh, last week when I was preparing for this, I was studying second Thessalonians three, three, that says the Lord is faithful who will establish and guard you from the evil one. And the evil one, obviously a deceiver and trying to pull us away from God's truth. But thank, I'm so thankful that he is so kind and his kindness leads us to repentance and allows us to um, just cry out for mercy and come back to the truth, just always bringing us back to the truth. And that that is a part of our evangelistic nature, right? For the no, gospel. Absolutely. We, we all have sinned. We all need to be brought back um, away from temptation, away from the bad choices, away from the foundations that were destroyed because we didn't have our focus on or even know the facts about who God is. So thank you for writing this book and helping us as Christian families be grounded in God's word. Um, another thing that you address in one of your books, and I believe this is in the social issues book, is um, the, uh, the idea of racism, which is such a big deal in our culture right now. And I'm so thankful for your ministry, the way that Answers in Genesis has provided resources to bring us back to the truth of why racism exists. So give us your 500 word answer or your short glimpse of that how we can defend our faith against racism, as well as create unity, bring unity by having the truth. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. It's easier to write short answers than it is to speak short answers sometimes. Okay. But yeah, so in short, the biblical answer to racism is pretty straightforward because in the biblical world, you understand correctly that Adam and Eve were the first two people. Every person who has ever lived comes from Adam and Eve. That means, biblically speaking, there is just one race, the human race. That's it, period. And since we all descend from Adam, that's why we're all 
made in God's image. Every person, no matter what your skin shade is, what your background is, how much money you have, how much money your family had, uh, what your accent is, uh, no matter where you come from, no matter where you live, in the womb or on the moon, every person has inherent, indelible, equal value because we're made in the image of the living God. And to treat someone, anyone, less than is utterly anti-biblical, anti-biblical because every person is made in the image of God, therefore demands inherent respect and dignity. So within the biblical worldview, any demeaning of that value is utterly anti-biblical. And so if someone's doing that, they're Christian, they should repent of that. And of course, sure. uh, of course, we call an unbelieving world to repent for their faith in Christ. And so understanding that truth, there is just one race. And then also in that same truth, though, is the fact that since we all descend from Adam, we're all sinners and need a saving through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that helps us get to the gospel as well, because what's happened ultimately with racism is racism is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. At its core, racism says this, I'm better than you. Mm. That's what it says. And you can pick your reason. And I've had the very unique opportunity over the years to travel around the world. And I've seen many beautiful things, but I've also seen many ugly things. And one of the ugly realities as you travel the world is that racism exists everywhere. Why? Because people exist everywhere. And we're all broken by sin. And so the reasons that we think we're better than others varies from one nation to another, from one people to another, but the heart's still the same. I'm better than you, right? And so how do you fix that issue? Well, there needs to be a heart transformation. How do you get a heart transformation? Only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? When people uh, turn and put their faith in Christ and they're made alive, they're made new, they become a new creature, new creature, uh, born again. They get a new heart that gives them a new worldview, a new way of thinking rooted in God's word instead of man's. And when you become a new creation, then we can rightly understand who we are, who others are, how to rightly respond and love them. And so the Bible tells us our value, we're made in God's image, it tells us our problem, that we're all broken by sin, tells us the solution, which is found in Christ alone. And by the way, since we all descend from Adam, that's why we all can be saved. That's why the possibility exists for every person to be saved, because any descendant of Adam can be saved through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, if they repent and put their faith in him. And Jennifer, if we weren't all descendants of Adam, then not everybody could be saved. And that's where the idea of evolution and multiple people evolving over time undermines the gospel message at a foundational level. It's one of the reasons we care so much about the issue. I love that. Well, thank you for giving it such a compact answer. And I I will want to go back and re-listen because you know this by heart. I can tell that you've spoken it many times, but it's so powerful. And so um, I hope that those of you who are listening will take time to go back and listen to um, what Brian has said about racism and share it with other people who are looking for those quick answers as well as his books. So oh, Jennifer, if I may real quick too, yeah. just something I'd like to share with everybody. I think it's in the book as well. I can flip to the chapter real quick. Actually, here's the book if we wanted to see it. So yeah. Quick- for those of you on YouTube. There you go. That's what it looks like. And uh, also in the book, oftentimes I will say we want to give an answer in love and truth, and we give an answer to get to the gospel, but also mm-hmm. also good to challenge the non-believer with their worldview. For example, here, if you're talking about the issue of racism, or you're giving an answer biblically, you can ask someone if they're not a Christian, well, why do you think racism is wrong? Because and when you say this in love, we don't want to be snarky about it, but make them think it through. Because if 
if evolution were true, if there is no God and there are no moral absolutes, then actually might does make right. Why not oppress somebody if it benefits you? Why not slavery? Why not hurt others if you want to because they're just rearranged pond scum? There's no inherent value to them if we're just evolved animals, right? And the evolutionary secular worldview, there's no foundational reason for every person to have inherent dignity and respect and value. Only the biblical worldview provides that. And when the secular world demands that we show dignity and value to every person, they're borrowing from the Christian worldview. Kind of funny when you think about it. So yes. we can that out and show them the inconsistency of their worldview and show them how the biblical worldview provides a foundation for the thing they adore, and that is the love for people and the care for people. I love that. That is so good. Well, speaking of love, one of the issues that you address and your social issues, tough answers, tough, quick answers for social issues. I mean, it, yeah, book number two. Um, is love wins and love is love. Those are the rallying cries that we hear in the movement of the LGBTQ community. And um, there's so much division over that between Christians and that in the movement that goes against what the Bible says. So I'd love for you to talk about a loving response to love wins and love is love because we don't want to be confused. We don't want to not love the way God tells us to love. We want to address that issue in love. So what are, what do you suggest? What does the Bible say? And how, how do we talk to people about that? Yeah. And so that's a question we get to specifically in this book, the second book I wrote on quick answers to social issues and diving deep on that. We deal with multiple issues with sexuality and gender and so forth. The transgender mm -hmm. book address as well. Um, in that book. And so, yeah, you think about it, the, the secularists have been very clever. This rallying cry of love wins has been very effective because, you know, who wants to argue against love, right? Love is so fluffy. No one wants to argue against love, right? You'll be seen as anti-loving. And so if they can attach the idea of love to homosexuality or whatever movement they want to push, then it makes it hard to fight against. Uh, unless you understand what's going on and define your terms. And that's going to be the key here. It truly is. And as you well stated before, and we'll probably say it multiple times, we want to be very loving, true love as yes. we engage people. We want to be uh, respectful. We want to be winsome. We want to be, we want to be like one beggar sharing with another beggar where we found food, right? That's really what it is because oh, yeah. we are broken sinners. We've been saved by God's grace. And I want to just share with you how you can say it by God's grace through his truth, his power, not me, not my arguments, not how, what I can say. No, no, no it's, it's all God, his word, his truth. We want them to get saved. And so our heartbeat is one of humility and love for people. Mm -hmm. And so we want to have that heartbeat, but also as we have that heartbeat, we are absolutely unmovable and uncompromising on the truth of God's word because it is the truth of God's word that provides that salvation they so desperately need. And so we want to be, Loving and went so, but also uncompromising. I heard it recently said as we give these answers that we want to share truth in love, right? Um, but to those who hate truth, well, truth can sound like hate, right? And so anyone who's not saved and they don't have a regenerate heart and then they're rebelling against God, that's what they're according to the Bible. They are actually uh, enemies towards God at this point in their life. And so 
to those who aren't in Christ, the truth can sound like hate. So we want to be as loving as possible, but also understand even if you're as loving as you possibly can be, it doesn't mean people will respond generously towards you when you tell them the truth. Right. So, yeah, keep all that in mind. But how do we respond to this question or the issue of you know this whole mantra that love wins? Well, the first thing we have to do is define love. Who defines what love is? And as we said from the beginning, you got two options. Either God does or man does. Mm-hmm. Those are your two options. And of course, we understand that only God can rightly define anything for now and for eternity. And, and think about if someone, if a human tries to define what love is, then that would be utterly arbitrary because a different human could define it a different way. And who's right? It's just your opinion. So love can be whatever you want to be. Therefore, it's nothing at all. And in the secular worldview, if there is no God, what is love? Well, love is just really a chemical reaction in your brain. That's all it is. Not much different from the chemical reaction for hate. Well, I prefer one over the other. Right? Interesting. I mean, it really is. And so it's utterly arbitrary in the secular worldview. But within the biblical worldview, we know what love is. Why? Because God, he's the author of love. He is the source of love. And as his image bearers, we can know and experience love in reality, authentically. Mm -hmm. That's only found in God. And what is love, biblically speaking? Well, biblically speaking, we see love defined. Love is an action done for the benefit of another, often at the cost of your own comfort, or desires. All right. That's what it is biblically speaking. And so love's not a feeling, it's not a nebulous ideology, but it's really an action that's done for someone else to their benefit. And that's you see that throughout scripture, and it's most exemplified in Christ, right? And how he lived and died uh, for us to achieve that amazing salvation for us. And then also understand that love comes from God. God is love. God defines what love is. Love, and this is so important, love is rooted in God's nature. And is truth. Therefore, anything not in line with God's nature or his truth is not loving. And so when people push an agenda that is anti-biblical, even though they may call it love, it is not love if it's not in line with God's word and his truth. And that's why you see this constant command in God's word that we love God by obeying God. You can't separate God's truth from God's love and who he is, his nature. They're intertwined. They cannot be separated. We're told to love our neighbors in the book of Romans. And what things are loving? Well, things in line with God's word and his law. What things are unloving? If we go against God's word and his law. So we obey God and love others. And then you get to 1 Corinthians 13, I believe, the great love chapter of the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And you get down uh, towards the end of the description. and It says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And by biblical definition, homosexuality, any deviant sexuality, uh, the transgender movement, so forth, so forth, those things are wrongdoing. Therefore, they cannot be love. God defines what love is. And so we find that source in God's word. And we give these answers. Okay, the Bible defines love. The Bible defines marriage. The Bible defines sexuality. And God made us. He knows how we work best. We submit to him. And love is rooted in his truth, his nature. You can't separate the two. So homosexuality is not loving as biblically defined, therefore defined rightly for eternity. And I like to tell people, and I want to say this graciously, but perfect love did win 2,000 years ago on a cross to set us free from any sin that we may face in our lives. And so that was a longer answer. I was giving more details, different thoughts popping in my head as I was going through. The answer is shorter in the book, but people get the idea. 
And that's a powerful answer. I mean, it helps people understand what love is biblically speaking and also help them understand that, you know, if you don't have an absolute standard for truth, then your definition for love is utterly arbitrary. And so why should I care what your definition is? But God's made it. He defines it. It comes from him. And that's good news for all of us because it's a right eternal standard that we can look to and stand on. And as Christians, we must stand on that foundation. And we know it's not popular, uh, not at all. And it's growing increasingly more unpopular as the days go on. But we still stand. We still proclaim. And it's through God's word, his truth, his love, working people's lives that they may be set free from their sin, be saved in Christ, become a new creation. And that's the goal of all that we're doing here, defending the faith, giving answers to proclaim the answer that people might get saved. Yes. That there are so many issues that love touches. I mean, like, it, I don't know if you could separate love from any of the issues that we are talking about, racism, this movement, okay. um, you know, the, the destruction of the family itself, divorce. And, you know, we've all sinned. We all are facing issues that our definition of who God is and our definition of love impacts either to build us up or tear us down or build our family up or tear our family down. And I personally have been, have seen both sides of it. I have seen the strength God gives when you do it his way. And I have seen the destruction that comes mm. when you don't do it his way. Right. And that's just biblical. And it's, yes. you know, life is not easy. There is pain and suffering, but, but as you said before, that is not from God. Well, Jennifer, you said it so well, and that's such a great point to really kind of camp on just for a second. And that is, you know, God made this place. He's made all of this. He's made all of reality, all of reality. He's made us. He made the institution of marriage. He thought of and has made gender. Mm-hmm. He made sexuality. He knows how these things work best for our good, human flourishing, and for mm-hmm. his glory. And so when we do things his way, it's always going to be better for us in the long run, usually in the short run as well. But it's going to be better for us. Doing things his way is best for human flourishing and also, of course, for the glory of God. And so when we encourage people to stand on biblical truth, to live in accordance with God's word, that's loving because we're encouraging them to do what is best for them, what is exactly flourishing, what brings glory to God. And so it's not this issue of, hey, I'm right because I think this issue is no God's right because he's God and he's made us and he knows how we work best. And yes, you're broken by sin. We're all broken by sin. We have broken views, all sorts of things because of sin, but God can fix that in Christ. And he knows how you work best. He has the best intentions for you. If you'll trust him and submit to him, but he's God, he's authority. We bow to him. Absolutely. And he's the redeemer. When we, when things do fall apart, you know, he puts us back together. If we line up with him, man, he takes over with his strength, which is supernatural compared to my strength. I have tried in my own strength to make things work and, and failed terribly. So I'm just so thankful for the fact that he created it in love. He created us in love. He redeems us in love. When we get it wrong, when we follow the wrong voice, when we don't know the foundations of his word, he still has this redemptive plan for us. And that's what we want. That's what our mission is, is to go, like you said, as one beggar to to another, here's what I've experienced. When I follow him, it works. When I don't, it falls apart and he helps me get back on track. So go ahead. 
No, no, I was just a nod my head in agreement, and it absolutely is. It's not only what we experience, it is that, but it's also, it's truth. This is the truth. And it's not my truth. It's not like I've, I have some grand knowledge. It is God's truth. By right. His grace, He's revealed it to me. I'm just sharing it with you and encouraging you to bow to it, submit to it, because God's God, He's the authority, and He has what's best for you at heart. If you'll repent and put your faith in Him, you can't imagine not only how, how He'll redeem this life in some amazing way for your good and His glory, but the eternity He has set for us in Christ and we'll put our faith in him. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to let everybody who's listening know that in the Masterbooks app, our book club is going through Brian's book on the social issues. So we invite you to download the Masterbooks app. If you haven't already, it's on Google Play and iTunes and um, check out the book. The book is available at masterbooks.com, Quick Answers to Social Issues. That's the one you want to look for if you want to participate in the discussion group in the app. There are some amazing homeschool moms, amazing Christian women in that group who are um, seeking the Lord for the best for their family and trying, you know, working with God, partnering with God, partnering with us to bring forth that foundational wisdom. And I just want to thank you so much for writing these books. I also want to read for everybody one of the reviews that we have on this book by Carolyn. She said, when I attended a conservative Bible college, I was totally immersed in an atmosphere where a strong biblical worldview was taught. And I was stunned when I realized how much my worldview was influenced by the culture. Mm -hmm. Even though my parents were strong Christians, I grew up in a church and I was homeschooled. So don't just assume that your kids are getting a biblical worldview because they attend church and are out of public school. Use this book to inform your mind and your children's minds on these issues. Even if you address these subjects in other ways with your kids, this book can still serve as a clear and concise reminder of what we believe on these issues and why. I am so thankful for Caroline giving us that feedback in her own experience as she read through the book. Absolutely. And we we know that you will have a similar experience. Um, find yourself strengthened. And my goodness, don't we need strength um, in this day and hour, strengthened by his word, strengthened by the Lord. And Brian, I love to end the podcast with a scriptural prayer. And so I'm going to ask you um, if you would bring us a scripture that you would encourage people to pray over their families and maybe you can pray it over everyone today. Absolutely. And I'll just say this real quick before I do that. I wanted to show this. You look in the book, uh, the book's dedicated to my family. Uh, oh, um, and because as I was writing the book, I was really thinking about all these issues that are facing my kids. How can I, what can I do to help them stand firm to know what they believe and why rooted in God's word? Because the attacks are so vicious today and there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. We want ourselves and our kids to stand firm on God's word in the coming generations and the coming years in America and throughout the world. They better know what they believe and why rooted mm -hmm. in the scriptures. And so that's why one of my motivations was kind of selfish and really trying to equip my kids. Uh, but I know but it's for everyone that you know, those who read this could be uh, equipped and stand firm on God's word and equip their kids to stand firm and be the salt and light that God has called us to be. And that's the real passion behind the book, ultimately, truly, both of them, actually. Wonderful. And with that being said, picking a Bible verse, um, I guess we will 
I love so many different ones that we quote so often here at the ministry, but we'll stick with first Peter three fifteen. Okay. God's word actually commands us that as believers, we are to submit to Christ as Lord and we are to be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and in fear. So many things from that verse, but we are called by God to give an answer for our hope, right? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe the gospel in light of these conflicting ideas according to the culture of evolution and the secular the sexual agenda and homosexuality and LGBTQIA plus 2943 community and what they're pushing forward? How do you have a how do you have your hope in Christ rooted? Well, we have answers and we stand on God's word ready to defend the faith. And we do it with meekness and fear. As we talked about during the presentation, this is not about us trying to uh, have, you know, an, an impressive moment. We look really smart. And they look really dumb. Look how great my answers are. You can't, you can't bet on my intellect. No, not at all. No. Missing a fear that I love you because you're made in God's image. I care about you because you reflect the image of the living God. You've got an eternal soul. And God knows what's best for you, both for now and eternity. And he has graciously uh, changed my heart. He can do the same for you. And we're sharing this truth out of love for God and love for people. So we do it with meekness and fear, out of fear of God too, that we want to love him and serve him and obey him and glorify him as we faithfully steward the life he's given us, standing rooted in God's word. Amen. Let it be so, Lord. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for today's podcast. Thank you, Brian. May God bless your family and your work there at Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. And we look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. Lord, we just want to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for all his goodness, all his grace, all his mercy, and the way he supplies our needs. And one of the ways he's he has supplied our needs is through authors who take the time to show us how to defend our faith and to stand firmly rooted in the word of God. So with that, we say goodbye. Thank you, Brian, again. Thanks. We'll so much. Yeah, we'll see you all on the next podcast. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for joining the Master Books podcast. This was fun and we are really glad you were with us. We invite you to check out masterbooks.com. We have a big library of books that will feed the faith of your family. And hey, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.